Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you out on a beautiful afternoon. This is the kind of the time of year where I actually like it getting cooler and even cold. I'm kind of weird like that. You probably know me by now. I like winter time. How many of you look forward to winter? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. So you're like you're liking this getting cool down. You hate the 90s. How many of you are going to get grumpy in the next month or two? Raise your hand. All right, keep them up for a second. I'm going to take notes. Well, listen, when it gets dark early and you need something to do, I'm going to give you something to do tonight. I told you we were going to talk a little bit about prayer. And um, we're going to specifically hone in on the, on the prayer life of one person that we learn a little bit about how he prayed and what he prayed for. So if you haven't already, shame on you, open up to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to camp out in Colossians, just go back and forth between chapter 1 and 4, 1 and 4. So I'm not going to go anywhere else unless I just refer to it. And you want to go there, you can. Jesus taught his disciples to pray without hesitation, without doubt, without fear, and without limits. Remember what he told his disciples in Matthew 19? When they were starting to think some things were impossible in that chapter, Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I remember in the Old Testament reading where he said on a number of occasions, is anything too hard for the Lord? This is a small matter for the Lord. And things like this, you understand that God can do anything, but he actually invites us in prayer to pray in such a way that we believe that he can do anything. And what's really important is that we learn how to align our minds and hearts with the heart of God so that we understand what He's trying to do and then pray for Him to do those things and participate in it. Participate in it as much as is possible. Paul mentioned a man who prayed this way in Colossians 4. Josh read it for us. His name was Epaphras. Epaphras. And we learn in that book that he's a Colossian, and Paul's writing a letter to his home congregation, but he's with Paul in Rome at the time. So he's away from home. We also learn from chapter 1 and about verses 3 through 7 or 8, and like I said, we'll float back and forth, but you can take a peruse through there if you want and see that um, Epaphras uh, was a key player in establishing the church in Colossae. Uh, Paul said he was a faithful minister of the gospel and the things that you had heard and learned, he also gave to you. So uh, either uh, he was the main minister of the gospel in that place or he picked up where someone else left off and carried on with it. And we see in chapter four uh, that um, Archippus was taking up a ministry in Colossae in chapter uh, 4, verse 17 there. 
to stay true to his ministry there, whatever that was, but it had to do, we know, with the gospel, of course, and with growing that church. Um, Epaphras had to go see Paul in prison. Doesn't seem that he's in prison. Uh, Paul and Archippus are in prison. Uh, I'm sorry, Aristarchus. There's Aristarchus and Archippus. Archippus is the one I just mentioned was in Colossae doing a ministry. Aristarchus, he said, my fellow prisoner with me. And so Paul had at least one in chapter 4 who was imprisoned, imprisoned with him. And Epaphras and some others are coming to see him. We'll talk about who they were here in just a second. But I just want you to get a picture here that Paul's in a Roman prison. Uh, and that Epaphras is one of several who are coming to report to him about the health of the church in Colossae. Also to minister to him and his needs. Also to be sent on missions uh, that Paul sends them on to different churches. But also to encourage Paul to pray with him. And there was prayer happening in that jail. And Epaphras was one who was inspiring to Paul. Now, you know, like I do, that Paul was a soldier of the cross. And we often look and say, boy, I, I would just, you know, he's right up there with Jesus, right? I mean, just, if I could just be like him, you know, we say, boy, if I had the faith of Paul, or if I, if I could just be focused and strong like Paul. Well, Paul was influenced by others as well throughout his life. He learned, and, and his faith was built by the strength of others. And sometimes there are these people that might just be mentioned in passing. And here's one Epaphras that impressed Paul with his faith in the power of prayer. And he mentions him in a, in a greetings at the end to the church in Colossae. He's saying, greet these people, and I'm sending greetings from some. And Epaphras sends greetings, and he, and he takes a note about Epaphras. And he says, he's one of you, and that he labors fervently for you always in prayer that you may be perfect and complete, the New King James says, in all the will of God. He just wants to make sure that that note is in there. Well, we can learn um, how that prayer life looked a little bit, and we can also learn about what he was praying for. I want to know, don't you, uh, what it means to labor in prayer? So I, I know to pray. I know some things about prayer. I know that my prayer life wanes and rises with occasion sometimes. I know, that, I know that it's something that needs labored upon. But Epaphras was laboring in prayer. I want to know more about what that means because it's possible that his prayers could have had a factor in the success of the Colossian church. So as he was ministering to this church, he was praying fervently for them. We learned that for sure. Could it be that... That was a large part of the success of the church's establishment. Uh, could his prayers have played a role in the conversion of Onesimus, who came to Paul and was converted by Paul while Paul was imprisoned and was sent back, remember, to Philemon in that letter we have in our New Testament? That was Onesimus, who's with him now, was sent to Philemon, and that re uh, relationship was reconciled it was strained, and Paul, Paul wrote the letter to reconcile the relationship. I hope that that happened. Um, could it be that 
Epaphras was laboring in prayer for these brothers? I think he was. I think he was. And I think the God who can do all things and wills that we be consecrated to him and unified together uh, could have heard his prayers and that have impacted the church in Colossae in many ways. And Paul also said that he reported of their love in the spirit for one another. No wonder with, with men and women in the church such as this praying. Well, let's take a look more closely. Go to chapter 1. And I want, I want to uh, not overlook the obvious. In verse 3, Paul, after introducing himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He said, we. We do this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world. There's a footnote for you. At this time, the apostles have gone out into the world. There is, they are achieving the mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And Paul takes a note of that. Just a side note, rabbit chase, I know, I'm a hunter. That's important. But he says, and it's bringing forth fruit. Verse 6, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Who would we be? Well, Timothy, Tychicus, I go to chapter 4 for these, Tychicus, um, Aristarchus, who's a fellow prisoner with him, Mark is there, Justice, a man named Jesus, whose surname was Justice. Luke is there, coming in and out. Demas is one mentioned, and Epaphras. So these are mentioned by name. How many is that? Paul and Timothy, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten men that are devoted to the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, are coming in and out among Paul. Uh, among the prison and uh, in the prison and, and uh, visiting with Paul, but they're praying together. And he says, we are giving thanks. So whatever, you know, probably not all of them were there at the same time ever, you know, but there are groups of people coming in or individuals coming in and they're spending time in prayer. We, first of all, they give thanks. Think about this, church. They're visiting an apostle, the, the great apostle Paul, and he's enchained in prison. Your first reaction is to think, this is just a shame. This is terrible. If we could just turn Paul loose on the world, man, what he could do. He says, we, gave th we give thanks. Always. Praying always for you. What do they have to be thankful for in a situation like this, where things are definitely challenging for them, to say the least? Well, he said it already. They're, they're laboring and ministering in the gospel. 
the good news that's gone into all the world has come to them too. And they are bound for eternity with God in relationship with Jesus Christ and can pray to God in Jesus' name about anything and receive strength from God to endure all things. The Spirit of God is with them in that prison cell and in that ungodly city. They have hope. That's what they're thankful for. In the midst of the situation, they have hope and they're overjoyed about it. He says, we give thanks, praying always. Paul taught the churches to, and I'm getting this from 1 Thessalonians 5, just a page or two after Colossians, to rejoice always, even in situations like this, to pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And they're doing that. You know what? Their hearts are aligning with God's will for them. And then they're going to turn and uh, come to the throne of God and bring requests to God's throne that His will may be done elsewhere as well. And so they're trying to fulfill the will of God by being thankful, by being hopeful, by being faithful in the place where they are, and they're in relationship with Him, communing and, and uh, conversing with Him often. And then they're praying for someone else. For you, He says, we're praying. This means that they were naming people and cities and works that the church was doing in those places and calling out circumstances and, and as Peter said in 1 Peter 5 casting those cares upon the Lord for He cares for us they were doing this they were, they were talking about the situations that were dire, the needs that must be met, the people who are lost and they're, they're bringing these so he was praying for the church in Colossae but we also see that they're praying for others. Uh, the other two churches that Epaphras was really focused on was the church in Laodicea and the church in, I think, Hierapolis is how you say that. And uh, those three were kind of close together uh, along a, a set of rivers that came together. Epaphras is laboring in prayer like this. And you know that word laboring is the word, I'm going to give you the Greek word on this one because I think it's kind of fun. You'll, you'll see what English word we get from it. The Greek word is agonizomai. Agonizomai. What's that make you think of? Agonizing, right? He's agonizing in prayer. All right? He's, he's laboring fervently in agony over the conditions of the people that he cares so deeply about. Right? And I think to myself, some of those things, you might think, well, they must be way worse off than us. I don't think in every case they were. Now, being in prison, I consider that a pretty dire situation. That's something that 
that might drive us to agonize and prayer over if one of us ended up in prison, unjustly so. Or if someone was sick, we tend to agonize and prayer over those people, especially if it's us. But he's agonizing or laboring in prayer over the unity of the church, over the work of the church, over the future of the church. Just circumstantial things that, that happen every day in church life. He's praying for them, and he's bringing reports to, to Paul about this. Now, they had some challenges uh, to the doctrine of Christ that they had to, to know more about. And they had some cultural difficulties to overcome, as Christians in every culture do. But he just, church, this isn't that there's any one specific thing. He just cares about them so much and the kingdom of God and its furtherance so much because he realizes his own soul has been saved by God from sin and that there are others who need the gospel or else they'll die eternally, be separated from God in eternity. And he's, he's agonizing in prayer over these people. I wonder if he was agonizing in prayer over Onesimus going back to Philemon. I mean, that would be the type of thing that he would be concerned with and go to, go to God in prayer about. I love that about this brother. These are the kind of people that I believe it's going to be fun to meet in heaven and talk to and learn more about. Let's talk about what he was praying for a little bit more. I mentioned some generalities and some specifics, but in um, verse 13 of chapter 4, we get a little bit of insight, and we can, we can kind of fill in the gaps with other New Testament teachings. So when he prays for something generally, we can go to another place in the New Testament and say, well, this is what it means when you pray for this. All these things got to happen. I'll give you an example here in a second. So look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant in Christ, greets you. Always laboring fervently, and I don't think that Epaphras said, Paul, tell him I'm always laboring fervently. He said, just send him my greetings. And then he said, he's always doing this for you. I want you to know this. He greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete, the New King James says, in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. He is praying so that, in the middle of verse 12, or that you. You see that there? Again, with intentionality to change the current circumstances by calling upon God to act and respond to His prayer. The audacity, right? Jesus, uh, the Hebrew writer says, come boldly to the throne of grace for help in time of need. All right? He's wanting God to work specifically in the lives of these people to bring about an intended result. And here's what the intended result is. That you would stand perfect. Now, this is a word in the Greek, teleos, that means to reach maturity from going through the necessary stages to reach an end goal. 
You know what a telescope is. What do you picture when I say telescope? Do you think of the old, like the old pirate movies? Where they, they get out on a ship and they extend that telescope, click, 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 click out? That's just what it means. That's where that, that, that name for that object came from, is to go through stages to bring about a clear, complete picture of what you're striving for. Isn't that interesting? And so he's praying that they'll move through stages. Doesn't this sound like Ephesians 4? We've been camped out there for several years, going back to Ephesians 4, always talking about equipping the saints, always talking about edifying one another in love, coming, Anthony's been preaching about uh, each one doing their part in the body to bring us to maturity. We go through stages. Our congregation is in a stage right now unto maturity. I, you know, um, we're all at different stages of maturity, but congregationally, our mindset, how we approach the mission of Christ to make disciples, we can be immature and we can be mature, and we graduate to different levels of maturity as collectively we come together and contribute what God has given us to the health of the body and to the unhealthiness of the world. So we're in a phase, we're in a state, and he's praying that these churches will accomplish their stages of maturing. You know how the Hebrew letter says, you're on milk and you need to be eating solid food. Paul told the Corinthians they were, they were carnal and he had to speak to them as carnal. So there's a beginning state, there's first principles, Hebrews 6, and then there's eating meat or let's say fulfilling mission together. Firing on all cylinders, we might say. And he's praying for them to stand perfect. That is to come to the point where they're at full strength. And we can learn what that means from Ephesians 4, where every part is learning what their place is in the kingdom and doing their share to bring about a mature body, edifying one another in love. The second thing he says is, and complete. In the New King James, it says, stand perfect and complete. And those seem like they'd mean the same thing, but there's a difference, uh, of course. And this is from a Greek word I can't pronounce. Even if I tried to slowly pronounce it to you right now, it's so long. It means to fully carry through. And it's used of God's power bringing the believer to his maximum potential. So the church is going through stages, but he's also praying for believers to maximize their potential as servants in the kingdom to, to contribute to the phases that the church is going through to maturity. So there's a, there's a congregational level here he's praying for and also a personal level that they would all be able to stand having gone through the stages of maturation together because each one is maximizing their potential in the Lord to serve in the way that the Lord would have them to serve or as he would have placed each one in the body as he pleases, as we read about in other places in the New Testament. Every part doing its share. Isn't that interesting? You'll all come to maturity when individually you come to maturity. I'm going to pray that you'd all stand complete and uh, perfect and complete. And we miss that a little bit in the English translations in the New King James. So that's one good time to go and look at the original language. And he prays that they'll do this in all the will of God. Church, the whole will of God. 
well, I can't do it all. I'm not perfect. That's not what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God desires this for us, all right? That we do the will of God, that we stand firm in the will of God. The Bible says, for example, in Jude 3, that um, the faith has been delivered. Okay, here we see in Colossians that it's gone out into the world. So the preaching of the gospel, what he, what he has revealed to give to us is complete. So the will of God is before us. Paul encouraged us in Ephesians chapter 5 to find out what the will of the Lord is and do it. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 17. The Hebrew letter says something very profound. He says, don't, don't give up your, don't cast away your confidence. He said, so that after you have done the will of God, you may stand uh, before him. We're not those who draw back to perdition, he said in Hebrews 10, but believe to the saving of the soul. So after you have done the will of God, you'll be able to stand complete. So it can be done. Do you see what I'm pointing out here? It can be done. God doesn't give us these things to do and then say, I know you really can't do all this, but try. No, this is the state of completion that you're striving for as a church. And we as a body of believers here at Pickerington ought to be striving to work through stages of maturation to where we are doing the will of God. Simply put, doing His mission on earth. That's a, the, the most general way I can say that. Making disciples of ourselves and of the lost. And doing that in a seamless manner. And doing that in a... a, a a very uh, smooth and functional manner as, as fine machinery would work together. So pray, uh, he did, that, that they would complete this maturity in all things, not just in a few things, not just to say, well, we do this well. You know, when you read the, uh, letter to the, the letters to the churches in Revelation, that's a good place to see that some were doing some things very, very well, but then there were other things that they weren't doing well. They weren't doing all the will of God in a mature fashion. The, the Ephesians were case in point on that. Um, Peter from Switzerland brought that up at the Lord's table where they were doing many good things well, but they had forgotten the relational aspect of, of their relationship with Christ, of their faith. Uh, they had forgotten their first love, who it was for whom they were doing these things very well. <laughs> and so we want to do it in everything. So Epaphras was agonizing in prayer that God would help each of the members in the churches of Colossae and also Laodicea and Hierapolis to function in their God-given way to edify those churches unto maturity and to serve at full capacity to do all the will of God. Mouthful, isn't it? Can you do that? Can we pray like this? I think we can, don't you? We need some Epaphrases praying like this for our church. Amen? We can, we can take as many as will pray like this, men or women. Whatever role you're in here, whatever way you're serving here, we're all called to pray. I hope we can get more people laboring in prayer like this. We talked a little bit this morning about the prayer ministry, just making that commitment to do that. So I, will, I will pray like this daily, but also I'll take up the requests of those who are agonizing, and I'll agonize in prayer over them. 
And um, I'll spend time doing that. We need more people to do that. You don't have to be a part of the prayer ministry to do that, but you can be. And it's intentional. And we're praying for specific things. I'd like to pray with you right now like that and then uh, offer an invitation to you to obey the gospel if you have not already. Church, let's pray together. Father in heaven, it's good to be here tonight. Um, you've called us together as a people whom you've called out of sin, out of darkness, and gave us light and life in Christ. You've washed us in the blood of Jesus. You've given us his righteousness and taken upon him he has our sin. He has risen from the dead and invited us to raise up from the dead through His power, through His sacrifice. We have hope, God, because we believe that He is your Son. He is who He said He was. And we have hope because of your power, your power at work in the world and also in Him and in us. Father, help our unbelief Teach us to pray. Show us your power when we pray. We're weak. Sometimes we need to see, but we shouldn't. But Father, if we pray, we believe that you will act on our behalf, that you'll act on others' behalf, and you'll change the way the world is, even if it's because we just asked you. Help us not to doubt. Help us to be bold, and we boldly pray right now for this church, for this body of believers, in this place where there are many souls, in this good land that you've blessed us with. Help us not to be, to be uh, oh, just complacent. Father, help us not to be selfish with the gospel. I pray, God, that you would strengthen our church one person at a time, Work with each one. If we give you just a little, take it and, and grow a, a, a great fruitful tree from it. If we give you a little faith, do wonderful things, move mountains. Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to grow in maturity. I pray that you would help our elders uh, who are giving us oversight, offering shepherding, and uh, striving for the unity of the body here to have wisdom, courage, and faith, to have vision for the future, and to uh, want all of us to be working together. I pray, Father, for Anthony and I and whoever else preaches that we would always stay true to your word, this gospel of grace that Paul has mentioned that has not only gone into the world but changed the world and turned it upside down. May we continue to stay true to that. And I pray, God, for all of our members that are serving in all the different ways that they serve, that you would help each one of us to want to serve at our fullest capacity in your kingdom so that we can grow up into a really dynamic group of people who follow Jesus and show people the way. I pray that we'll do that through pure hearts, good works, and that we'll overcome any temptations or strivings that Satan wants to throw in our way. Father, I want to pray for our ministries and all of those who are actively engaged in works, good works, that they would not grow weary in doing good, 
and that many souls would come to know you through these good works and glorify you in the day of Jesus Christ's return. And dear God, I pray for our communities. Help us to touch all those whom we come into contact with. We live all over the place around here, and we're out and about among many people. Uh, increase our faith and help our desire to save these people from the fire. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and I, I pray, God, that you will also bring us laborers, not only in prayer, but in work, to do this great work. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, church, if there's anyone here that needs prayers, as our dear brother and sister did this morning, or if you need to become a Christian and want to be a member of this body, this church, this is your invitation to do that. Come and obey the gospel tonight. Let's stand and sing.